Hello and welcome Nationals fans to the Dogcast. I promise it's not a kid's book with the title Mighty Mouse and the Giants. I'm your host Blake Vinny and I love running up the score in the late innings, unlike Sergio Romo. Later we have one of my fellow writers at British baseball blog Backflips and Nerds on to look ahead to the San Francisco Giants series. But first we're going to look back on the very brief two-game Tampa Bay Rays series where the Nationals took a sweep. They looked very convincing in doing so, backed by Max Scherzer in the first game and then the runs came out to play in the second game. In terms of player of the series, it'll be a little bit out of the box, uh, but Michael Taylor went four for eight with two runs, three RBIs and a steal, and he's really starting to get back into a rhythm at the plate. He's still um, hitting it very hard and got that sky-high batting average on balls in play, but that's what we expected. If at the start of the season you come in with someone who can hit 250, play gold glove defense, obviously, you take that. And I think that's going to be the key thing when this impending outfield roster crunch is coming up with Adam Eaton coming back healthy. Are they going to keep five outfielders? I don't know. My guess would be no, and they may try and work out a trade for someone like Brian Goodwin. Because I don't think you can send one Soto down, but that's an option because it means you can keep everyone on the roster. So he's the only natural centre fielder. Goodwin can play centre field, but... I think Taylor's gold glove defence is going to win out and at the very least he's going to be a platoon guy that plays against lefties and then plays gold glove defence maybe against righties if he's still hitting well at the plate. Obviously we uh, had Max Scherzer was immaculate, thanks Judo. Uh, he threw his second career immaculate inning and I think everyone else who's thrown more than one immaculate inning has now gone to the Hall of Fame and I think Max is on that path. I talked about it on the podcast with Ron last time where there was a certain point and I think it was the second Cy Young where he's gone from a potential Hall of Famer to now he's being referred to as a future Hall of Famer as he should. Uh, it's just a treat to watch him every day and that's pretty much the definition of a Hall of Famer. You see a lot of people who you think were good players but you wouldn't go to see just them. With Max Scherzer Everyone will buy tickets just to go see Max Scherzer pitch. It's that special. The other pitcher in this game was Tanarok, who didn't necessarily have his best outing. Six innings, six hits, two runs, one walk and just the four strikeouts. It's a very Tanarok type of line, solid but not spectacular, which is perfect for a fourth starter. And with Helixson going down, you've got a little bit of a risk in that fifth starter when... Uh, I think Feddy's going to come up for a couple of starts when they need one. I think it's two weeks away or a week away until they need one given all the off days. But that's exactly what you need out of a fourth starter. And we've talked about it with Helixson being great value for a fifth starter. Tanner Ark's great value for a fourth starter. If he keeps putting in just above a three ERA, that's perfect. And I look forward to more of the same. I think I did doubt earlier in the season when uh, he was giving up quite a lot of runs whether he would stick. But I think he's... Uh, quieten those doubts, especially from me. So, well done, <laughs> well done to Tanner. Also, during the week, we uh, activated Matt Grace from the DL, uh, putting Helixson on the DL, so they're going to carry four starters, as I mentioned, and have the extra reliever. And it was good to see Matt Grace back. He's an interesting piece to the bullpen. We've 
talked before about Sean Kelly usually only goes one inning. There are some guys who will only go one inning. Maybe Ryan Madsen's in that category as well. But Matt Grace is someone who can give you a bit of length out of that bullpen. And we've seen it before. He had that magnificent start. I say doing air quotes that you can't see. Uh, last season against the Padres. And that really affirmed what he can do. He can go multiple innings. And that's what they were lacking. They were lacking the people who are going to go several innings in a game where they're trailing by one or two. And they need people to deliver quality innings so that they stay close in those games. So I look forward to having Matt Grace back. It's Obviously, it's not the headline edition activating from the DL, which we're going to see in the next few days, hopefully. But it's definitely a solid addition. I talked about it before. Eric Fetty should be coming up when the Nationals need it. I, like I said, I believe it'll be... Uh, it'll be just over a week away until they need one. They've got an off day today, obviously, on Thursday. They've got another one coming on Monday before the Yankees. Uh, and they've got one in between the Yankees and Blue Jays series before then it really starts to ramp up where they're playing the doubleheader against the Yankees and playing back-to-back-to-back. So that's when it's going to pick up. And again, I've been a champion of Feddy's for quite a while now. I don't think he's the pitcher that we saw Last season with the big league club, he's more of what we saw this season where he went five and two thirds, struck out six, and that's exactly what they need. And I think his performance in the next couple starts is again going to dictate how they handle some some of the free agent movements that they're going to do in the offseason. Obviously, Gio's a free agent. If Feddy can immediately step in there, they've got four quality starters and then they maybe bring Helixson back, go out and get another starter. It's still up in the air for that, but... I do like what Freddie brings and he'll at the very least be a good fill-in until another spot in the rotation opens up. It's difficult to see where he can get in on a regular basis. Another player that I've been a big fan of lately is Pedro Sev. Well, maybe not so lately, is Pedro Severino. His defense has been incredible. He started off hitting really well, but over the last 15 days, he's hitting just 103, like way below the Mendoza line. So it's quite worrying and I think he's pressing a bit too much. He potentially got a bit complacent thinks right I can hit I can hit and he started to chase a lot more and not taking the walks that we saw particularly early on like in that Phillies walk-off that Wilmer Defoe hit he took the walk for the tying run and that's exactly what you want to see don't want to press him at the plate pitchers starting to figure out a different strategy against him and I think that's showing so I think they'll be happy to roll with Severino until the trade deadline uh, we'll see if there are any veterans lurking. I don't think they'll make a move for JT Romuto. I think the price is still going to be quite high from the Marlins' perspective. Um, so I guess we'll we'll wait and see. And again, I think it, it's more likely they'll move for a veteran, maybe a James McCann of Detroit. And with Severino's option, they can send him down and bring him back up next year to take Wheaters' place if they don't renew Wheaters. So that can kind of work out. And then finally, your weekly one Soto update, three for six with a couple of walks. And at this point, I don't think he can be sent down. I think you've got to keep him on the roster. He's hitting over 350 at the moment. And you can't take that productive a bat. If he was hitting 280, maybe a home run, not drawing as many walks and doing a nice job, it would be good to send him down and make sure that he's playing every day. But when he's the team's best hitter since he came up, I don't think it's possible to send him down right now. And I think that's what's complicated this whole thing. I think they called him up, thought, right, he'll he'll do the tide over until we get a good win and eat him back and then we can send him down for regular game time to Syracuse. But it's been incredible what he's done. And I think it's get it's not quite Max Scherzer levels of running out of stuff to 
running out of superlatives, but it's, it's getting pretty close watching him and his two-strike approach at the plate. So long may it continue, and I think he's here to stay. So joining me now on the podcast is one of my fellow Brits, but he's Welsh, so it doesn't really count. Uh, Darius Austin, how are you doing, Darius? I'm doing very well, thank you. I, I should point out that I wasn't born in Wales, so I don't know whether I, I really count as Welsh yet, but I've been here for four years, so maybe I've, I've passed the requirements for honorary Welshman now. I don't know if anyone would want to do that, but <laughs> uh, we we digress. Uh, I know Darius from Batflips and Nerds, the UK baseball blog, uh, and he's a San Francisco Giants fan who the Nats are facing this weekend. Weekend. So, so far this year, they're 31 and 31. They seem to be much better at home than on the road, which is contrary to what the Nats have done. The Nats have been road warriors. Is there any reason for that? Uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, AT&T is obviously a, a good place to pitch, so I think that's helped maybe some of the mediocre options in our rotation do a little bit better than uh, you would otherwise expect, um, but uh, certainly hasn't helped Jeff Samarja, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, I think uh, just one of those fluky things. It's it's not the, the greatest park for our hitters to, to hit in, but um, we seem to have done okay there so far this year. Yeah. Uh, so the Giants have just gone fourth in the NL West. The Dodgers won, so I think they're actually I think they're tied at thirty-one and thirty-one. Uh, but in their last series against the Diamondbacks, they took a series win, two to one. Uh, three home runs in a seven-run inning to take the opener, ten-three. Patrick Corbin then outdueled Madison Bumgarner in game two. Uh, but I guess it's good to have Madison Bumgarner back for you guys. Yeah, it really feels like it's you can't really count on anybody in the rotation to get much past five innings. Um, and, you know, you kind of hope that that maybe Samaja or, or Cueto would be those guys you could back up Bumgarner and, and Cueto started out well and then got hurt and Samaja is terrible and then got hurt. So having Bumgarner back and even on kind of a, a fairly off night for him, just seeing him be able to go six decent innings was kind of a, a nice thing for the team, I think, because the bullpen has been getting pretty tapped out. So, yeah, as, as much as uh, it would have been nice to, to win that game with him back, I think uh, just the fact that he's in this rotation does give us uh, a lot more hope going forwards. We always feel a bit better about the team uh, with Bumgarner in it. And, and certainly when he got hurt last year was when you really thought it was all going to be a downhill from there. Yeah, I, I look forward to whichever... Well, I don't look forward to it, but it'd be interesting to see which strange injury he gets next. <laughs> yeah, dirt bike is, is definitely up there for weird injuries, and I'm sure he won't be doing that in the season anymore. Um, but yeah, he was kind of a, that guy you could just depend on, and then the last couple of years, a bit of bad luck, and well, I guess uh, maybe a, a bad decision as well. Um, but the, the the finger issue was, was not his fault, and... Uh, yeah, hopefully he can stay healthy the rest of the season and we've managed to stick around in the race uh, while he's been out. So that's kind of uh, encouraging and uh, it, it looks like um, we might not have to be quite as good as we thought to, to keep pace with the Dodgers and Diamondbacks. Yeah, they've, uh, they've all... Um, it's It seems a very tightly matched division, but just not that good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird, right? Like, uh, I'm sure I think we got a stick from a few people on the the preseason prediction preview that we did at Batflips and Nerds um, by saying the Dodgers were going to be a, a hundred win team again, and uh, yeah, they've they've really not lived up to expectations. And the guys who have carried them have been absolutely guys you wouldn't expect. Matt Kemp is out here hitting like uh, you know all star MVP level Matt Kemp, and Max Muncy has been great for them. And Ross Stripling looks like the ace of the staff. And meanwhile. 
Corey Seager's out for the year and who knows when Kershaw's coming back. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know how much credit we should give the Dodgers for this, really, uh, all these unexpected contributions. But I guess one of the things that we would say about them is that they had a, a ton of depth. So that, that has certainly come into play for them this year. And then I feel a bit bad for the Diamondbacks because they looked really great with that rotation at the start of the year and, and they've suffered with injuries to Taiwan Walker and Robbie Ray. And uh, AJ Pollock was having a terrific season as well before he got hurt. So I think those things have really leveled out the playing field for us. And, and I think the Rockies, who aren't a particularly good team either, uh, to, to stick around in this race. Yeah, it's going to be going to be an interesting one to watch develop. Um, you've actually got a couple um, potential all stars out there. I know uh, Brandon Crawford hit the walk off home run in Game Three, uh, and he's kind of vying with Trey Turner. And I think that's going to be an interesting uh, thing to watch uh, during the series because I think those are the two main contenders for the starting NL shortstop. What do you make of make of that? Yeah, I mean. Crawford's had a, a weird old season. He was miserable in April, and, and you wouldn't know it looking at his line now. Um, but he, he's basically, I think he's hit 427 since the start of May, which is absolutely absurd. So the fact that he's he's kind of only hitting 320 now tells you how bad he was in, in April. Um, he's been unbelievable that the power has come back. Uh, he's, he's not really striking out. Um, so, yeah, he, he looks great. And he's obviously got a very different skill set from Turner, who's obviously a, a speed demon uh, out there. And uh, I think I think maybe the, the defensive ability uh, favours Crawford slightly. I haven't actually checked uh, Turner's defensive numbers this year. So you'll have to speak on, on what he looks like uh, with the glove. But uh, the one thing we can always say about Crawford is he's going to be solid. Uh, defensively and uh, yeah this this outburst is kind of looking like maybe we'll get gonna get his peak year out of him which I think I thought was was gonna be behind him yeah I think the weird thing with those defensively I was looking up the stats uh, I think they're both middle of the road in terms of defensive run saved this season which not surprising for Trey Turner but kind of surprising for Crawford I guess he's usually towards the top of that category yeah and I think uh, you know there's a lot of discussions about defensive metrics and uh, their reliability and, and certainly over a couple of months uh, I think most people will tell you that maybe uh, you, you shouldn't put too much stock in them um, certainly watching Brand Brandon Crawford every day I think most Giants fans would tell you that he's a, a very reliable presence there he, he isn't the, the flashy guy he's not Anderson Simmons he's not Francisco Lindor but he, he does get to most of the balls that come his direction and, and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes so yeah, I think within a small sample size, it, it's not a huge shock to me. I would expect those numbers to kind of come out to make him look fairly elite by the end of the year. Yeah, I think it feels the same with Trey Turner. It feels like he's taken a step forward defensively this year. He make he makes a lot of the highlight plays, and then there are a couple silly errors that might get ironed out as the season goes on, and he moves up, especially uh, in the Braves. I think it was the finale on Sunday. He made a couple excellent barehanded plays to keep them off base. So, yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting one and maybe not one that people would have kept an eye out. I think people would have been hoping for someone like Bumgarner v. Scherzer. But having Turner and Crawford, two of the best shortstops in the National League, it's going to be interesting. Uh, and then the other potential all-star, but he's uh, he's out injured now, is Brandon Belt. I was... Uh, People are sick of me saying it now, but I was there for that 21 pitch at bat against the Angels uh, <laughs> that went on forever. And I, I remember checking during the at bat, I think it was about 14 pitches. What is the longest at bat in Major League history? Uh, and it, I think he's really grown in terms of plate discipline because I remember he was he was always a powerful hitter, but he was hitting about 240, 240-ish. And then this year he's jumped all the way up to 
about 310, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's he's having a terrific year and uh, it's just his luck that it's it's not even, a, you know, kind of a, a normal injury. It's appendicitis that's, that's struck him down. So that's really been a big disappointment because he's been the guy carrying our, our offense and, and certainly before Crawford uh, really picked it up, it was it was kind of belt leading the way by a mile. So, yeah, he's um, he's always had kind of a good eye, but I think it's been difficult for him to tap fully into the, the power regularly and maintain that. Uh, at the same time, and an AT and T is not a great place to hit, as uh, as we mentioned earlier. So I think it's it's been difficult for him because you kind of look at his his overall numbers, and I think if you don't adjust those for context, then people would think that he wasn't a particularly good hitter. But actually, if you look at the the adjusted stats, the OPS plus, the WRC plus type stats. Uh, Belt has always been a pretty significantly above average hitter. Uh, it does get on base. He hits plenty of doubles and, and he seems to be uh, adding a bit more of the power. And we've seen this in flashes. You know, he had a spell last year before he got hurt uh, where he hit a bunch of home runs, but but maybe struggled a little bit with that average. And, and this year seems to be the year that he's finally tying it all together. So hopefully when he gets back from the uh, appendix operation, uh, he'll, he'll be able to pick right up where he left off and, and kind of lead this team because the Giants really need somebody like Belt in this lineup. Yeah. And I guess given that it's appendicitis, it's not something that your worry is going to linger. Although um, I think I, I had it, I'm not the most athletic specimen, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's not something that's going to have a lasting effect. So hopefully I think it's about three, four weeks. They're expecting him to be back playing. Yeah. They so. said, they said three weeks initially, I think. Um, and the thing I always worry about with Belt is the concussions. Cause I think he's had four now. And that is something we've seen with guys like uh, Justin Morneau, Joe Maurer. Uh, you know, these can be things that can uh, end your career. I mean, Mike Morse is is basically his career's over because of that concussion he suffered in the, the infamous brawl last year, thanks to Samaja. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is serious stuff. And uh, I've, I've always worried about that with Belt since he, he started developing those issues. So I'm glad that it's not that. And yeah, hopefully he won't suffer one again because I think it, it could be career threatening if he does. Yeah, um, and actually filling in for Brandon Belt is uh, our old friend Pablo Sandoval. Actually doing okay in the last 15 days, hitting 343, couple home runs, 6 RBI and 904 OPS. How has he turned it around from a pretty miserable stint with the Red Sox? Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing that he's producing something really. He, he has actually been murdering righties this season uh, and he's always been a talented guy who... I don't think we need to rehash <laughs> the <laughs> many issues with Pablo over the course of his career, but obviously staying in shape has been a problem for him. Um, he's kind of the the guy who could just reach any pitch at his, at his peak. You would swing at things and you'd have no idea how he'd put the bat on the ball. Uh, so he, he does seem to be in, in slightly better shape, I think. Um, I don't know whether this part-time role is maybe actually helping him a little bit and he's kind of able to, to work on his, his health and fitness a bit more. Um, but yeah, it, he's, he's been kind of productive, which is a nice surprise. We're obviously uh, not not paying anything for him, unlike the Red Sox. <laughs> so that's nice. Uh, you know, d- defensively, he's not going to give you anything. But I think as a, a bench bat, you could actually do a lot worse than Pablo. So it's uh, it's nice to see him back in the lineup. And I think he probably wishes the uh, whole Boston escapade had never happened. Now, <laughs> maybe it's all turned around since his uh, perfect inning in relief. Yeah, that was unbelievable. If if anybody's listening who hasn't seen Pablo pitch 
uh, you should really go and check it out because it was actually a really nice job. He showed a nice curveball and yeah, he was really pumped up. It was a fun one to see. So I think we're all kind of hoping that he gets back out on the mound and he seems to be kind of like our emergency player at every position now. Like he was taking grounders at second base and short the other day because we were kind of a bit uh, down on the shortstop side before uh, Alan Hansen got back. So Pablo was going to be our emergency shortstop. So I think we maybe we'll just send team uh, play online positions by the end of the year. <laughs> well, the the third matchup we're going to talk about it a bit later, but it shows of be Derek Holland. So maybe maybe if it gets out of hand early, we might see Pablo pitch again. Yeah, I, I must say when before I uh, came on to do this, I thought I'll have a quick look at the pitching matchups, and I've I haven't seen three more lopsiding pitching matchups. I think in any <laughs> series this year, just. Strasbourg, Gonzalez, and Scherzer against. Uh, yeah, we've got Derek Holland over there. We've got um, Derek Rodriguez, who I'm sure most people have never heard of, and, and Andrew Suarez. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> I have to say, I'm not not really filled with confidence for any of these, but uh, I can certainly see uh, Sunday against Scherzer get getting really out of hand. Yeah, I think the the last player I did want to touch on, funnily enough, is Derek Rodriguez. He's uh, the son of uh, Pudge Rodriguez. So I think it's going to be pretty cool. We, I think FP talked about it on some of the mass and broadcasts about how he was hanging around the clubhouse when Pudge was with the Nationals. So what have you seen from him so far? I think he's 1-0 uh, with a one nine three ERA this season. So Yeah, he's, he's kind of an interesting guy. I mean, he was, he was drafted as an outfielder. Uh, and um, when he was with the Twins, they, they saw something in him and, and suggested that he give it a go on the mound. And... Yeah, he's actually kind of pumping some pretty significant velocity, sort of 93 to 95. I think he's run it up to 96, 97 a couple of times. Um, I'm not sure there's a huge amount of swing and miss stuff in, in the rest of the arsenal from what I've seen, but so far the, the fastball has got uh, kind of a, a few whiffs. So that's an encouraging thing to see. And and he is using four pitches. So um, yeah, still still early days, but you know, kind of an interesting guy and obviously the, the pedigree is great. So um, I think maybe it's uh, not something that's going to last a hugely long time, but definitely fun to see. And uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe if he if he doesn't figure out in the rotation and certainly with the, the velocity he's got, then you could see him being a pretty useful bullpen piece, uh, maybe gain a, a couple of miles per hour in the pen and, and he could be, you know, a 97, 98 kind of guy. Yeah, I think my, my favourite thing about him was when they, they put his player profile on ESPN, they actually put Pudge's uh, Pudge's face shot. <laughs> so all, all the jokes came out about, oh, he looks a lot like his dad. Et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, moving on from that, are there any uh, any nationals that you're particularly excited to see this series, maybe aside from some of the obvious? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, Max Scherzer is one of my favourite pitches. I don't think I need uh, to tell anybody too much about him. Um I watched a, a bit of Turner playing shortstop last week and I was kind of interested and I think that the Braves broadcasters were a bit taken aback too because he seemed to be doing a lot of sort of mid-air throws. I don't know. Is this something that he does all the time? Because I hadn't really yeah, uh, I've, watched I've him been, play shortstop a lot before. I've been trying to force the nickname of Crisscross on people for Trey Turner because <laughs> he, he seems to jump a lot. But yeah, he, that, that's that been a theme throughout the year. He, uh, I'm not sure why he does it. The amount of time but i guess it looks good so no one's complaining too much yeah the the braves announcers were were very baffled by this i think the first time they did it they thought he was just kind of off balance and then when he did it a couple of times you know in the immediately following uh, they realized that that was just 
just how he was uh, doing the throws. So yeah, that was quite fun. Um, and I guess the other guy is uh, Juan Soto, who um, I've you know caught caught bits of, and I'm certainly relying on in a couple of fancy leagues right now. So he seems uh, incredibly exciting, and uh, I'm sure it must be a lot of fun as a Nationals fan to to see what he's doing as a such a young guy uh, in his first taste of the majors. Yeah, I think Nats fans can't get enough of him at the moment. I think it's uh, as as much as everyone says he is 19. When you still watch it, you still forget forget that given his approach at the plate, how he's taking walks, he's adjusting his two strike approach. So he kind of widens his stance a bit and makes sure to get contact. Even though weirdly, a couple of his home runs have been uh, have come from that weird two strike stance, but. Hey, we're going to take all we can get. And I think he's performing so well that it's not an option to send him down to the minors. I talked about it before you came on that if he kind of hits 280, does a nice job, you send him back down because of the glut of outfielders that they've got. Uh, Eaton should be due back this weekend, I think. So, But because he's hitting, I think he's hitting about 350, you, you just can't send him down at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty unbelievable, isn't it? So, so who is the odd man out then when when Eaton gets back? What what's your view of what's going to happen with the roster? It's a tricky one. I I think Brian Goodwin is going to be the odd man out. He's the only one who he's he's solid across the board, but he doesn't stand out in any particular category. So, I think I think they may get some trade interest if they DFA'd him because um, I think the only one with options left is Taylor. So no, not Taylor. Um, Soto. So I think Goodwin's going to be the odd one out, and you need that natural centre fielder because Michael Taylor's playing Gold Glove defense in centre field, and you need that if you're going to have Soto in left and Harper in right, both of whom are probably average defenders at best. Yeah, yeah, it definitely sounds like that's the uh, the way to go. But I suppose it's a, a good problem to have, really, especially. I guess, I mean, I really like Adam Eaton as a player, but I suppose you probably don't have that much faith in him staying healthy for the rest of the way, how, how the last few years have gone. Well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he seemed a lot more healthy. I remember that when he came back at the start of the year, so he did something on a play at the plate against the Mets, and he didn't quite look right in the next couple of games when he tried to force it, but apparently he's been pretty, pretty free moving around in the outfield on rehab assignment, so... I think hopefully he can put it past him and I think he will now that um now that he's healthy and perhaps the glut of outfielders allows them to get him extra days off they only need to play him four or five times a week to start off with. Yeah, well fingers crossed for him. Uh and uh yeah, I certainly hope they play Bryce Harper enough to hit uh, 43 home runs as well cuz I've got a bet with Tom uh that, <laughs> that he'll reach that mark so <laughs> Yeah, um, it's funny you should mention Harper. I wanted to try and deviate away from some of the big names, but I guess you you have to talk about them. Uh, and over the last 15 days, he's at the Mendoza line. So it's it's a weird one. I think his BABIP is still about 210. So there's still plenty of room for improvement. He's hitting it hard. Maybe a date with Hunter Strickland will get him sorted. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if there's anything guaranteed to get Bryce fired up, it's uh, seeing Strickland again. But yeah, it's it's so weird to see a, a guy like him with a, a batting average that low. Is it all just bad luck or is there something else going on here? I think there's there's a lot of strikeouts coming into play that like at the start of the year everyone was raving about how he had like double the walks of strikeouts and I think he started chasing um and looks a bit off balance with his swing and chases outside the zone on 
two strikeout two strikes so i think the strikeouts are the big thing that's suppressing that batting average so even if the luck was falling he would still only be about a 250 260 here at this rate yeah well i guess you can live with that given the the power he's supplying yeah definitely uh so now we're gonna look ahead to each matchup individually uh first off we've got steven strasberg against andrew suarez uh i had the google the right one because i googled albert first off uh that'll be a friday at 705 eastern strasburg six and five with a 320 era suarez with a two and four record 474 era uh and andrew suarez actually had a nice outing against the phillies helped the nets out a bit seven innings three hits no runs no walks and five strikeouts so is that a outlier or is there more of that to come I mean, he, he's pitched pretty well so far, actually. I mean, his, his peripheral suggested he's been a bit unlucky. And I think, you know, th there are better things to come. Again, he's not a, a super overpowering guy, but he's getting some ground balls. Uh, he, he doesn't walk a ton. And uh, for a guy, uh, you know, pitching in AT&T, uh, like, I like to see that. He's, uh, he has given up a few home runs so far, but the park will certainly hold a lot more home runs than, than most parks will. So, um kind of for the, the course of the season he, he actually looks like a pretty useful back end of the rotation type so yeah i think of the the three guys going this weekend i'm probably most confident in suarez of, of what i've seen so far yeah uh and then opposing him strasburg he's three and two with a three three two era i have to figure out how to say that uh in <laughs> eight career starts against the giants but then Posey and Crawford actually rake against him. Posey's hitting 391 and Crawford's hitting 389 too. So that could be quite dangerous, especially with the run that Crawford's on. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty high for, for Brandon. Uh, Buster, I think, I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if there are quite a few pitchers who ha he has that kind of line against because, you know, he's perennial 300-plus hitter. Um, so it, it doesn't really surprise me too much. But yeah, with Crawford on this hot streak uh, and, and him having those kind of numbers, then obviously he sees Strasbourg pretty well. So yeah, maybe it will it will carry on and we won't be quite as doomed as I, I'm expecting. <laughs> uh, do you have a prediction for this one then? I, based on the uh, signs you're giving off, I think I know where you're going to go. With it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, I've long been a, a Strasbourg fan and uh, I can't can't bet against him as uh, positive as uh, I was about Suarez. I think uh, he's uh, going to be a bit outclassed here. So, yeah, I think uh, this is definitely a Nats game. Yeah, I think uh, I've got the Nats winning about 5-2. to two. Um, It'll be interesting to see what your offence can do against him. I think that's going to be the key to it. I think the Nats are going to score a good amount of runs, like I said, about five, but they could easily get six or seven against Strasbourg or they could easily get none. Yeah, I mean, we've scored, uh, we've done okay in run scoring this year. It's been a, a lot better than last season, but it's still the, the kind of lineup, especially towards the back, where you can easily just get a lot of cheap outs, easy at bats, I think. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Strasbourg pitches a, a gem in this one for sure. Mm. Uh, and then, second up, we've got Gio Gonzalez against Derek Rodriguez on Saturday at 12.05 Eastern. You'll be quite happy with that time uh Gio Gonzalez six and two with a 227 ERA and then we talked about Derek Rodriguez one and oh with a 193 ERA he only has the one career start so far again again he did well against the Phillies thanks for the Giants um six innings five hits one run two walks six Ks so uh how do you see this one playing out <laughs> Yeah, I think this this will probably be the the closest matchup of the weekend. I've never quite been a, a Geo guy 
he's always walked a few too many for for my liking and uh, you know he, he's obviously had a terrific year last year but not so much uh the season before so i feel like he's on the, the shakiest ground of, of these three and i think that the giants have got enough discipline to maybe take advantage of a few walks and, and get something going in this one so uh if i'm going to be optimistic i think it's probably in this matchup i think i i tend to agree i think I hate predicting sweeps. I let myself off the hook because the Tampa Bay Rays was a two-game series. I felt I could justify that. Um, but yeah, I think the Giants can take this one. Geo's fielding independent pitching has kind of risen to three. It was actually in line with his ERA until a few starts ago, and now he seems to be giving up a couple more home runs. Um, and it's been the theme of his year. He's been allowing base runners at a ridiculous pace. I think his whip was 1.4 until a couple of weeks ago. So... As the summer months roll along, that that's the kind of stat that's bound to come back to haunt you as as it heats up and the balls start flying out the yard. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I've kind of always been as a, as a fantasy player, the the geo whip has kind of always been that thing that gives me a little bit of <laughs> little bit of pain to look at at certain points. I mean, we've we've certainly seen it be very high at, at various points over the course of his career, and that that strand rate definitely looks a bit lucky. So, yeah, I think maybe a, a little bit of regression coming from geo. Yeah. Uh, and then to wrap the series up, we've got Max Scherzer against Derek Holland on Sunday at 4.05 Eastern. Max Scherzer 10 and 1 with a 1.95 ERA. Derek Holland with a 3, three and 6 record, 4.91 ERA. So is Derek Holland going to dominate in this one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't predict baseball, right? But of all the unlikely outcomes over the course of this weekend, I think Derek Holland getting the win over Max Scherzer would be probably the the most unlikely in my book um holland's had a, a decent career but uh, i i don't think he's a very good pitcher anymore uh you know his, his numbers certainly don't make him look like he's a good pitcher either so yeah i i think that max is going to dominate this one and i i love watching the guy pitch to be honest he's he's absolutely phenomenal and he's having a, maybe his his best ever season right now uh, which is it's great to watch so yeah i think uh, this is a bit of a no contest really yeah, I think we we've run several articles about can Max get better two weeks later. Oh wait, he did he did <laughs> yes. just get better. Uh but there's not a lot more to say about him. Second immaculate inning against the Rays. Uh and all the previous ones who have done that have all gone to the Hall of Fame. And I think at this point he is a future Hall of Famer. And I think I talked about it before again. I think that changed about his second Cy Young in uh, 2016. I think that's when he really became the future Hall of Famer. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think Max is going to get there. I, I think with the the Cy Young resume now and just the way he's pitched over the last five years or so. I mean, he's basically been one of the two or three best pitchers in the league for you know five six straight years now. And uh, I mean, this season, you know, he he's looking like he could be on course for a nine or ten win season. I mean, it's he's been phenomenal. Uh, we got asked a, a couple of weeks ago on Batflips and Nerds, can Josh Hader win the Cy Young? And, and my answer was basically, <laughs> well, only if Max Scherzer gets hurt, because <laughs> there's there's no way that he isn't winning the Cy with if these kind of numbers continue. They are unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I think he's he's definitely going to be in. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of a, a matter now of, of how many year, more years he keeps this up is to you know what what level of Hall of Famer he is. But I think there are a few guys who have matched him, and and especially with Kershaw dropping off now, there's there's really no competition for who the best pitcher in the, the National League is. Yeah, absolutely. He's got somehow he has a fielding independent pitching lower than his ERA at one seven six, which is just bizarre. Um, but yeah, I think it. I think he's 
going to lock up the Cy Young, assuming he stays healthy and everything. The question is, can he win the MVP? Is that um, something that you could see happening? Yeah, well, I mean, we've we've seen Verlander do it not so long ago. Um, I, I think he, he probably could. Um, he's not in the same league as Mike Trout, so so that certainly helps. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I guess uh, that the way it's going, it, it's probably on, on course to be right in the conversation. I think a lot of people are going to have to give it some serious consideration. And uh, yeah, I, I, right now, I, I guess I don't really see why not. I think all of the, the leading guys really are, are kind of AL on the hitting side. Um, just quickly eyeballing the leaderboard, it looks like uh, Freddie Freeman and uh, is the, the leading NL hitter right now. So yeah, I, I think Max probably is the front runner for the MVP as, as things stand. Yeah, um, I know it won't factor much into it, but obviously watching him hit is a pleasure this year. I think, I think he's hitting 280 odd, and obviously the huge one that I may have been slightly intoxicated watching and made a very, very loud noise when he scored from first base in the Brave series. But yeah, um, I, there's not a lot to say. <laughs> you just run out of superlatives at some point. Yeah, I mean, uh, at some point you just have to sit back and and watch him and uh, and enjoy really. But uh, yeah, even the way he, he is when he's on the mound, you know, just the the way he mutters to himself and the way he goes after hitters, you know, it's it's so much fun to watch. And you know, as as much as I uh, obviously want the Giants to keep pace in the the NL West, I'm not going to begrudge it too much if uh, pitches a shutout against us on Sunday. Yeah, I think it's good. Unfortunately for you guys, it's going to be one where we just want one win. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I think you will probably get that win. <laughs> um, so do you have a score prediction? I don't think I need to ask which team you're going to pick the win, but uh, do you have a score prediction then? Uh, I'm going to say 7-0 uh, Nationals. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I think I would go... I might go high just because I want to see Pablo Sandoval pitch again. So I might go with 11-1. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we get Pablo in the 8th. Yeah, Pablo strikes out Harper or something. That would be pretty good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that wraps us up. I want to say thanks to Darius for joining me today. Uh, and where can our listeners find you? Uh, so you can find me on, on Twitter at DariusA64. If you are a fantasy player, you can find my fantasy stuff over at Baseball Prospectus. And you can obviously uh, find me over at uh, Backflips and Nerds as well if you uh, just can't get enough of British guys talking about baseball. Perfect. Uh so yeah, remember to check out some of our content this week. Brian Foley predicted how the outfield logjam is going to play out for the Nationals, which is probably going to start this Friday when Adam Eaton gets activated. And then Monty looked at just how Max Scherzer has evolved since his move to DC. We talked about it just now. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. You can follow our podcast on Spreaker. You can download the app and that will download the episodes for you automatically. You can subscribe on iTunes or Google Play and get those uh, episodes downloaded to your iOS or Android device. We'll be back on Sunday before the Nats head to Yankee Stadium and hopefully they'll actually play a full series this time rather than the rain playing havoc. Uh, So we'll see you then.